At this time, the children are dismissed, K through third grade, and I'll invite everyone else to find the book of Proverbs in your Bibles. Our passage is going to be projected, but there's something about having it in your lap and seeing it on your own personal Bible pages that's powerful. Proverbs will be in chapter 10. I'm grateful to Jeff for doing a great job introducing it again this year. Uh, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but I did read the recap that we post on our website, and I hope to listen to it this week, Uh, but he always does a great job. Proverbs chapter 10. So the reason we've been doing this for, for a lot of years, going to Proverbs at the beginning of the year, is that culturally, wisdom issues are on our minds. A lot of the New Year's resolutions that people make, virtually all the New Year's resolutions that people make, are a reflection of their innate desire to live wisely, to make good decisions instead of bad decisions, to live in a way that aligns with how reality works as opposed to trying to live in a way that doesn't align with how reality works. I can't eat the way I've been eating through Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's forever because that does not align with the way reality works. Reality is kicking in every meal and I'll get increasingly unhealthy. And, and so we, we make these resolutions to just get it back together and live according to the way God set reality up. And that's what wisdom is. Proverbs is a treasure chest of wisdom. It is so practical. It is so helpful for making good decisions and for living life according to God's setup that he has designed. What's interesting, if we let Proverbs set the agenda for us as we begin each year, we do not necessarily emphasize the same things our non-Christian neighbors are emphasizing. We still want to be healthy and fit and eat well and eat right and all those things, but Proverbs doesn't just emphasize those things. I used to look at the top 10 resolutions each year and kind of introduce my sermon that way and say, here are the top 10 things our world is resolving to do right now, and here's what Proverbs says. But two, three years in, I realized they're always the same. The top three or four resolutions every year, they're always exactly the same. It's always about diet, eating more healthy. It's always about fitness, getting more exercise. It's always the same. Those are important, but Proverbs is going to open us up to a much broader spectrum of wisdom than just that. So I hope we all will do those things. Proverbs emphasizes what comes out of our mouths more than it emphasizes what goes into our mouths, though. Proverbs emphasizes our words more than our weight. And so if we're going to let our minds be reshaped by Scripture, we're going to start to think as much about our words as we do about our weight. And that's what the sermon is going to be about this morning, our words. Proverbs teaches us that our words reveal our character. Jesus said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we're going to look at four verses to help us understand wisdom as it relates to our words. It's going to help us understand ourselves. It's going to help us understand other people. It's going to help us make better decisions. It's going to help us live life according to the way God designed it. So we'll begin with Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. 
It's describing one type of foolish person who has two traits. They conceal hatred with lying lips, so they have a a heart full of dislike and ill will toward a person or people, and they cover over that with deception. And they utter slander. This is revealing or uncovering bad stuff about other people, usually false things that are negative about other people. The word utter can be translated, and some people have translated it, publish. And I really like that. That frames it a little bit more clearly for me. This type of foolish person dislikes and has ill will toward people around them. And they kind of, they, they conceal that and harbor that and nurse that and hang on to that, but they cover over it with a deceptive layer of slander by saying bad things about those people, by publishing negative things about those people. We have a blog on our church website. Isaac maintains that. Every week, he types up a sermon recap and puts it on there. And if you weren't aware of that, you should go and check him out. Um, But he'll type it up, and he'll always send me a link to it before he hits publish. And he says, the sermon recap is ready. And that way, I can look over it and just make sure it's okay. Uh, It always is. Isaac does an excellent job. And then I'll hit publish. But we have that two-step process before you hit publish, because once you publish it, it's out there. Now, luckily with a blog, you know, I can, I can take it back down. Like if we figure out there's a problem, I can take it back down. I can edit it. But once you publish something verbal, it's out there and it's, it's permanent. You can't, you can't grab it back and let me tweak that a little bit. It's out there. It's published. Public domain, whoever's around you can hear it, repeat it, spread it. And that's what this type of fool does. They publish negative things, even false negative things about the people that they dislike and have ill will toward. We talk about trying to live life in alignment with reality as God has designed it. In this life, there are things to be concealed and there are things to be revealed. And this type of fool reverses them. They reveal what should be concealed, and they conceal what should be revealed. So hatred is the topic here in in this particular verse. Hatred should not be concealed in the way that this verse is talking about. Ill will, strong dislike of other people shouldn't be concealed and nursed and cherished and, and hung on to. It should be revealed to God in prayerful confession and repentance so he can exchange it for love for that person instead. Hatred is incompatible with the wise Christian heart. It shouldn't be in there at all. This type of fool, instead of revealing hatred and confession and repentance, conceals it and then reveals something that should be concealed, slander about other people, negative things, even false negative things about other people. Slander should never be revealed. It should always be concealed, covered, kept private, out of concern for other people's reputation, The wise person protects other people's reputation. They don't trash other people's reputation. That's not just wrong, it's foolish. We, last summer, installed acoustic panels in our fellowship hall. That's what those brown rectangular things are hanging all over the walls if you weren't privy to what those were. So the acoustic panels, it's uh, insulation in a wooden frame covered in burlap. 
So without them, all the sound waves just bounce off of the hard surfaces. And so when you're in there, many of you have experienced this, it can be really difficult to hear what the teacher's trying to say because it's just everything's loud and it's racket and it's just bouncing back and forth off of everything. So the, the acoustic panels with that insulation, it absorbs those sound waves and it doesn't bounce them back out. It hangs on to them. And you can test it and see, and I invite you to do this if you remember it by the end of the service. Go into the fellowship hall and stand right beside one of those acoustical panels, and it'll sound to you like this ear might be going deaf because this ear is receiving all this audio, but this ear isn't because everything's not bouncing off of that wall anymore. It's getting absorbed and trapped and kept in that acoustic panel. It's really a weird sensation. Foolish people are like those hard walls. They hear a negative thing about somebody, and they're just blurting it out to everybody. And it's just, this is almost what social media has become. It's just loud, just racket about negative things, about other people. Let's just spread it. Let's revel in it. The wise Christian is like those acoustic panels. If you want to be wise, become a, a slander panel. You hear something negative, it goes no further. You hear people bad-mouthing other people, and you can tell, if you're observant, if you have any of this wisdom in you, you can tell when it's a covering for ill will and dislike and hatred. Just don't, just absorb it and let it terminate there. Let it go no further. Don't, don't take that and then echo it out to other people. That's what fools do, and we don't want to live like fools. We want to be wise people. Now, why would a Christian, I mean, this is obvious, slander is bad. Why would a Christian ever do this. Well, there's a lot of reasons we fall into it. I'm virtually certain every one of you have fallen into this. I know that I have fallen into this. There's a lot of reasons. One reason, it might be to make yourself look better. The easiest way to look better in 2020 is to point out how bad other people look. That's way easier than working on ourselves. Let's just point out the negatives in others, and it makes us, in contrast, look better. Uh, Another reason we fall into this is to feel better. Everyone of us in here has things wrong with us. Uh, We do things wrong, we say something stupid, or we make a bad decision, or we have a past full of things we just regret or we're ashamed of, or, you know, we don't like the way this part of us looks or whatever. Everybody in here has things they feel negatively about, and it can be really soothing to just take the spotlight off ourselves and our own minds for a minute and put it on to somebody else and remind ourselves, well, they don't have it all together either. Let's just, me and my buddy, let's just revel in that person's shortcomings for a little bit. And it's, it's like a salve almost. It just kind of makes you feel better for just a little bit. It can slip in because it's subtle. It can creep into even a good conversation with a mature Christian friend. It'll, it'll put on a disguise of concern and it'll sneak into your conversation. And it might be through your lips or through the lips of your friend who is genuinely a mature Christian. It'll be, oh, did you hear about such and such's son stole a candy bar from Aldi last week? Got caught. That must have been so embarrassing. I'm just really concerned for that whole family. And you hear that and you're like, oh, wow, really? Well, I kind of saw the signs that he might be a candy bar thief. Um, I saw him in Aldi and he looked shifty-eyed. And then you leave that conversation and you think, oh man, I wonder if our third friend is aware of this issue with this other friend's son. I better call him up and tell him, hey, did you hear that such and such's son stole three candy bars from Aldi and has a horrible candy bar addiction? 
it, it creeps in and it almost feels like maybe it is concern. Maybe it's for prayer requests that we're sharing this or maybe it's genuinely, often that stuff doesn't need to be discussed. Often that becomes slanderous. If, if there is a concern that you have, the Bible teaches you to go to that individual as privately as possible. The Bible really teaches it's God's people to take great pains to protect the reputations of others. That's what a wise person does. Another way we can slip into it is the social media mob mentality. And I want to park here just briefly because I'm not sure that we as the church of the capital C are doing real great at avoiding this. Um, I think today God's people probably slander about as much with their fingers as they do with their tongues because it's so easy. Uh, A catchy meme, do you know what a meme is? A catchy meme, a little image with a picture of this, this politician that you just really think is crooked comes along and it's got a catchy way of just zinging them. You're like, man, share, share it, share it, share it. And this stuff bounces around even among Christians on social media and often it's really not much more than slander. It may be true. Never should you publish false negatives about anybody. And very, very rarely should you publish true negatives about people. There are proper channels if you are concerned about the negatives in someone, even including our government officials. There's good ways that Christians should speak up, must speak up. But just... Okay, I'm not going to say it the way I say it when I'm at home. Just throwing... Okay, I will say it the way I say it at home because it's what I think of. You go to the zoo, and what's the the most hilarious thing to see the monkeys doing? They're just flinging their own feces at each other. That is almost what social media is becoming, just people throwing poo. Just let's just throw it. Let's throw it. Let's throw it. I don't even know why I'm throwing it. I haven't researched it. I don't even know if it's true. It's catchy. Christians, come on. I I realize how easy it is to share a meme or to go on a rant on social media. It's published fast, it's easy, it feels good. They they design it too, there's endorphins that releases. And I realize that talking about words in our current climate can seem shallow. I, I saw on Twitter this week, World War III was a trending hashtag because people were so legitimately concerned about the rising tensions with Iran and everything. Like, there's serious stuff going on, and here I am talking about word choices. But man, now more than ever, Christians, let's be wise with our words. Words are powerful. Words have the power to heal or hurt. Words have the power to to rip people apart or put people back together. Words have the power to cloud an issue with uh, heightened emotions from insults and inflammatory statements, or they have the power to quiet it down so we can actually communicate and talk and understand each other. Because, man, there's important stuff to be talked about right now. And we need Christian voices talking about it. But we need to speak wisely. We do not need to be part of the echo chamber I saw this week, it was so disappointing. This is a a fellow pastor, and I I really don't get on social media very often. 
Uh, mainly because I don't even know if I know how to use it right. Like, what am I supposed to post? I don't even know. Well, who wants to hear what I ate? I mean, I don't know what to put on there. So I rarely get on. But I got on, and this was somebody I love. He's a brother in Christ, and he's actually a fellow pastor. And, man, it was the most vitriolic, uh, enraged, insult-filled paragraph about an individual. Now, I get some of the good motivations, like why they were offended is, is understandable, but to call people liars and pigs and idiots and stupid and evil. These were exact words from the post, from my friend. What are you doing, man? They're, yes, be upset, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. I, I'm not saying let's just skip along like everything's fine and there's no trouble and there's not people that need to be called out. But the world is going to respond with foolish, wild, shoot-from-the-hip language. The church must not. Let's be the only ones not doing that. The way of wisdom is to forsake hatred and slander. And then the next verse continues this thought on and opens it up to a more general call to just speak carefully. We could add to that post carefully, comment carefully. Verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So here, this verse, verse 19, is not talking about the quality of the words, it's talking about the quantity of the words. More words, higher likelihood of transgression or sin. And that's why the prudent or wise person restrains his lips, keeps the word count down as best as possible. Strategically withholding and not saying everything that comes into the mind. That's the wise person. Think about it for yourself. Think back over your lifespan as best you can remember it. And picture a scale in your mind, you know, a scale with two, two plates now, on one side of the scale, just start adding all the times you have said something that you regret. And we've, I think, all done that. I've done that many, many times. And on the other side of the scale, put in there every time you have restrained from saying something and you regret it. Now, there may be a couple of times where you really should have spoken up in defense of somebody or some, something. Most of the time, you're not going to regret restraint because... Worst case scenario, you can say it later after you've composed your thoughts and you can say it better anyway. So virtually, you're almost never going to regret restraint. But often you regret rash words, too many words, words you didn't think about. The wise person keeps that in mind. Foolish people speak recklessly. They shoot first and then aim. Not wise people. The fool's mouth is usually open. The wise person's mouth is usually shut. Proverbs is unified in its teaching that when it comes to words and speaking, less is more. Mo words, mo problems. This is where quiet people have an advantage. There's, in our culture, there's not many avenues in which quiet people have an advantage. Our culture celebrates the loud extrovert. The talkative extrovert is the life of the party. That's who you want to be. That's who you want to hang out with. The Bible doesn't really 
look at it that way. The Bible says that person probably is a little bit foolish. The quiet person actually has a leg up here. Some are more prone to many words than others are. Uh, Some people are nervous talkers. It's not a sin to be a nervous talker. It's just some people, that's, that's natural to them. If there's a silence, it feels tense and uncomfortable, and it feels awkward. Maybe the person that here at the table with me feels awkward. I just got to get some words out there to fill this silence and can maybe say regrettable things through that means. Uh, some people are oversharers. They have a bag full of stuff to say, and some of it is relevant and, and needed, and they should say, but they can't really discern how to only pour some of that stuff out into the conversation. And so they just dump the whole thing out into the conversation and end up saying things like, ah, oh, I probably should have kept that to myself. That's probably happened to most of us. Some of us are know-it-alls. We just know a lot and we want everybody to hear it. And in a conversation, it's very difficult not to jump in and correct or add to or clarify a nuance and can say regrettable things through that avenue. Some of us are would-be comedians. And so we race to the joke. And then only once we've gotten there and said it, do we actually evaluate, should I have ever even said that? This is probably my most likely opportunity to say regrettable things. It may come as news to you that I ever am trying to be funny, but I grew up in a, a culture that really valued wit. Uh, Wittiness really is just quick, quick. That's what it means. It's quick humor. So in my household, in my friend group, it was the first person to the joke uh, got the like social points for whatever reason. And so I still, I have that in me. I'm just, and when I get back around people from my childhood in particular, uh, family gatherings and stuff, I just want to get, I want to get the joke for my brother, for my dad, for my, my buddy. And often I regret uh, what comes out of my mouth because of that. The, I think almost the only times I've ever had to apologize after a sermon for saying something regrettable have been because of a joke that came to mind and out of the mouth before I could process it. Monkeys flinging feces, for example, maybe one of those. <laughs> that was not in my notes. And I'm up here trying to process my own sermon and my next statement at the same time. And I, uh, in the clarity of the Sunday afternoon aftermath, I'll decide, but should have followed this rule. An easy way to pursue restraint this year, if you want to pursue this, if this is an issue for you, is the three-second rule. This is a rule that um, we heard at some point, and it was applied to teaching your children not to interrupt. You know, as kids, you don't yet have um, a strong sense of generosity in conversation, so you're kind of waiting for the other person to finish their statement because you've got what you're going to say already here. And so at some point, you just kind of even stop listening to what they're going to say so you can get it in there, and then you actually clobber all over the end of what they were going to say with what you want to say. And so we taught our kids, try to wait three seconds. When you think they finished their sentence, try to just wait three seconds before you start your next one. And it was, it was helpful. It was helpful for me to try to remember um, one 1,000. Two one thousand, three one thousand. It can seem like an eternity in a conversation, but it makes you a lot better conversation partner, and it'll give you a chance to think about what's about to come out of your mouth before it does. It'll give you a chance to remember silence is okay. 
It'll give you a chance to remember, I can leave that in the bag. I don't have to dump the whole bag in this conversation. I'm not sure if I should share it, so I'm going to keep it in the bag, and that'll give me a chance to think about it. I could always share it the next time we talk. But once it's out of the bag, I can't put it back. Three seconds is enough time to remember that it doesn't matter that you're right about this particular small level point. Just let it go. You don't have to say those corrective words. Three seconds is enough time to decide, I'll be one of the people who laughs instead of the funny one this time. I don't have to get in there with every joke. Three seconds is enough time to ask yourself, what is the most valuable thing I can contribute right now with my words? It might be no words, or it might be some carefully chosen words that will benefit those around you, which leads to the next verse, verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The tongue of the righteous is worth is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. There's a lot of things contrasted in these two verses. First, tongue versus heart. The tongue is a figure of speech about, uh, about your speech. It's a figurative way of talking about your words and your sentences and your questions and the things that come out of your mouth. The heart refers to your core, the inner essence. It's translated mind in some places. It's about your thoughts and your motivations and what's inside of you. So it's the tongue of the righteous compared to the heart of the wicked. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's not just silver, it's choice silver. It's carefully chosen, valuable stuff for the most valuable of projects. The righteous person is testing what they're going to say the way silver is tested and purified before it's put to use to make sure it's going to be valuable. The FDA has to approve a drug before it goes out for public consumption. The wise person thinks in a similar manner about their statements and their words. I need to test this before it goes out for public consumption. I want to be able to put Matt Broadway approved on this statement before it goes out. Candidates have to review their ads before they go out for public reception so that they can put that, my name is Matt Broadway and I approve this message thing at the end. And the wise person is wanting to be able to put that same level of confidence in everything that he or she says. Contrast is of the heart of the wicked, which is of little worth. Literally, it is a littleness. The, the wicked doesn't have it in him to offer anything of value. What the righteous person says is valuable, but what the wicked person thinks is worthless. It's pretty harsh language from the Bible, but it's what it says. It makes me think of a quiet guy that was in one of my classes in seminary. He, he did not speak up a whole lot in class. He was engaged. He was warm and friendly. He would say hello to you when you talked to him. He wasn't one of these like painfully withdrawn types. He was present, part of everything, but he just didn't speak up a whole lot and he didn't talk a whole lot. But man, when he did, it was carefully considered, thoughtful, brilliant, and everybody listened. There was times in the class when we would all be talking over each other. And then once we heard his voice, we were like, oh, he's got something to say? He never has anything to say. And it was valuable every time. 
the, the law of supply and demand comes into play with our words. The, the greater the supply, the lower the, the value. The lower the supply, the higher the value. If we're just pumping out words just all the time, people are not going to really value those words the same way as they did my classmate who very carefully parceled them out. Each word was like a limited edition statement. You wanted to have it. You wanted to hear it. It's the difference between Whole Foods gourmet food and Costco wholesale food. Have you ever had somebody just dump a Costco-sized barrel of words on you in a conversation? I met with a guy this year. I have never met with anybody like him. Um, it, was, it was supposed to be a simple, hey, how you doing? My name's Matt. I've, I've heard um, other people I know know you, and I'm just glad to meet you. Hey, my name is such and such. Glad to meet you too. Some small talk. That's what I thought the conversation was going to be. An hour later, I was still sitting there. Just words, words, words. Just this never-ending barrel of words from one topic to another topic with no juncture in between for me to say, I need to use the bathroom or anything. And I'm not saying that this person was wicked necessarily. That's not necessarily a black and white issue, but man, he's a good example of words not being like choice silver. I don't remember a single one of them. I couldn't tell you what we talked about. It was a pretty worthless conversation. Here the three-second rule is valuable. We can ask ourselves, what is the most valuable thing I can do with my words here? in this moment. Which leads to the last verse, and I won't spend as much time on this one because I do want to obey my own sermon and not give you too many words. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. It's really just another way of putting verse 20, focusing on the benefit that you can bring to others with your words. The language is, is shepherding language. You can pasture people. You can feed and nourish people with your words. Give them a clear idea of what is true, a clear notion of how to live according to God's ways. Foolish person is not able to do that. So to wrap up and to try to put it more succinctly, wise people know that words reveal character. Because they're wise, they don't slander. They restrain their words. They speak valuable words that benefit people. They speak low quantity, high quality words. Less, but better. You can frame each of those as a resolution. I resolve in 2020 not to slander. I resolve in 2020 to restrain my words. I resolve in 2020 to speak valuable words that benefit people. I resolve in 2020 to speak low quantity, high quality words. But, and I have to land here, it's really not that simple, is it? Do we really think we can walk out of here and remember these sort of rules for language and keep them in mind? Every conversation that we have will go insane if we try to bring all this to memory every time. We live all day with words. That's how we navigate through our lives. Words reveal character. They don't create character. Character creates words. So mainly what we have here is a tool for self-diagnosis. What do my words reveal about my character? 
But the solution isn't at the level of your words. It's at the level of your character. The words are an indicator light. So if, if my light, my gas light comes on in the van when I crank it up to drive home from church, that is an indicator light indicating visibly something that I can't see with my eyes, what's going on in the gas tank. It's empty. That's the way words are. So I'm not going to change the indicator light bulb. I'm going to go and take care of the invisible problem in the gas tank. It needs gas. The, the, the answer and response for us can't be, I'm going to go and change my words. It's what do my words reveal about what's in here that I can't hear about my character? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Word problems are heart problems. Verbal willpower will not do it. What we need is the promise of Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. This is one way to understand what Christianity is. It's people who have recognized, they've seen their words, and they recognize, I've got hatred in there. I've got slander. I've got dishonesty in here. I've got folly in here. I've got wickedness in here. I need a new heart. Christians are those who go to Jesus, confess to him in prayer what their words reveal about what's in here, and receive his forgiveness and payment for their sins, and that new heart that is programmed for wisdom with words. And then, it's not a matter of willpowering willpowering our way into wiser words. It's a matter of becoming who we are. It's not a matter of trying to get our, our lips to act differently from what our heart is. It's letting our lips reflect what is actually in here through Jesus Christ, righteousness and wisdom. Out of the abundance of our new heart, growing in wisdom, our mouths will speak. We'll pray together now, and I want you to do what I have been forced to do in preparing this, is to think about your words. Go back and, and reread this year's social media postings. Think back over your conversations with, with people. What is revealed in there? What needs to be confessed before the Lord? What needs to be repented of? What needs to be covered in forgiveness by Jesus Christ and made new so that we can be wise people who speak from wise hearts, wise words? Because, man, the, the world needs it now more than ever. Let's pray. Father, would you please, through your Holy Spirit, work out all the implications of your powerful word in our lives and hearts. Let us not slip out of here and away from its influence, but let it get deep down within us and transform us, please. In Jesus' name, amen.